0: Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Really excited today uh, for today's message. So let's just jump right in. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. We're gonna be looking at Mark chapter 10. Verse, uh, verses seventeen through thirty one uh, we've kind of been trucking our way through Mark and kind, of, kind of journeying our way through mark and here's where we start uh, today. I titled the message for today kingdom rich Kingdom rich uh, just to set up the context Jesus is um, right now in the region of Perea, which is a region that is uh, east of the Jordan River he's ministering there he's pouring into his disciples. And Jesus is headed towards the cross. Like Jesus, we're almost there. We're about to enter Jerusalem very, very soon. But Jesus is ministering to his disciples. uh, And he's having a conversation with with Jesus um, about the kingdom of God and what it really takes to enter the kingdom of God. And so we're We're pretty close to entering Jerusalem here right now. He's in Perea. He's ministering there, but we're headed towards the cross. Now, normally what I do is I read the entire text first um, and then we'll kind of break it down. But because the text is so long today, uh, I'm going to just kind of wait uh, and and read it in sections later just because of of, for time's sake. But what I want to do is is, uh, before we we start, I want to pray. I want to pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people that are here. Thank you for this text that we're about to study. God, I pray that it would edify our soul and heart and mind. God, I pray that it would challenge us to love you and pursue you with the greater passion like never before. God, anything in our hearts right now that um, are maybe stopping or hindering what you want to say to us today through your word, God, I pray that you would remove it. May we focus our hearts, our mind, our total attention to you, to your word. God, edify us, strengthen our faith, challenge our faith, and comfort us. God, we love you and we thank you for your word, for who you are, for what you're doing in our lives and in our church. And all God's people said, amen. One of the questions, church, that um, that I get very regularly and that I've gotten, reg- I've gotten through um, uh, the last couple of years, maybe the last two to three years, Uh, as we planted Restoration Church. I've gotten asked a lot of questions. But one of the questions I've gotten asked a lot is, um, why why did you plant in Northwest Peoria? Like, what made you plant a church in the suburbs? Like, why did you plant there? And a lot of the times, I know where the conversation's going. Because here's how the the conversation goes a lot of times. Well, why, why didn't you plant, like, I mean, in the inner city? Like, why didn't you plant, like, in an area where people really need a church. I mean, the suburbs, like, we just, there's a lot of churches in the suburbs. Like, why are you, why did you have to plant there? Why, why couldn't you plant maybe an inner city? Or why couldn't you, like, maybe plant another country, go across seas? Like, like why didn't you plant over there where, where the church is needed the most? And uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like, when <laughs> when I have those conversations, I get a little triggered, I really do, because, um, you know, it's, it's 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 kind of this assumption that for whatever reason, Planting in the inner city or planting as a missionary in another country is somehow more noble uh, than planting in the suburbs of Northwest Peoria. And so, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I don't get super triggered, but just a little bit. Uh, But here's how I respond. I say, well, first, um, this is where God told me to plant. So, number one, let's start off with that. This is where we felt led God uh, for us to plant a church in Northwest Peoria. Two, uh, I love this community. I grew up in this community, you know, since I was a junior high. So I love the people, I love the community, and then I say, "Well," and I ask them a question. I said, "Do you know how hard it is to reach people in the suburbs? Like, do you know how hard it is to reach people in Northwest Peoria? Do you know how hard it is uh, to reach people when the average income in your zip code is one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars?" for household, which I'm like, man, I'm really messing up the curve because I'm nowhere around now. I'm really messing up this curve. I'm like, do you really know how hard it is to reach people who have a great job, who have a roof over their head, who have money in the bank, who have uh, opportunities to take vacations multiple times a year? Do you know how hard it is to, to, to reach people who have all of these things? Their, their kids are going to go to a good college, and they're in a good school. I mean, do you, and they're, they're healthy for the most part. Like, Do you know how hard it is to reach people like that? Because if, if that is the, the life that most people live in, especially in our community, well, why would they need Jesus <laughs> Like, why would you need Jesus when you have money in the bank? Why would you need Jesus when you have security, when you're healthy, when, when you have a roof over your head, when you're really lacking nothing? Like, why would you need Christ? Do you know how hard it is to reach people? It's hard to reach people. For many people, money and material possessions become a barrier between them and God. It stops a lot of people from coming to God. Now, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that money or material possessions is a bad thing. It becomes an issue when money begins to possess us. You see, we're supposed to possess money. But when money begins to possess us, that's when it's an issue. When it controls our life, when it grips our life. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 says for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. It's not money itself. It's not possessions themselves. It, you know, money's neutral. It could be used for good. It could be used for bad. It could have a positive impact upon our life. It could have a negative impact upon our life, depending it if it possesses us or not. But money is neutral. So it's not the fact that money is bad. It's just the love of money in our relationship to money and riches and material possessions. So here's what I want to do today. We're going to see and we're going to witness a young man's struggle with the love of money, with the love of riches. We're also going to see the limitations of money, the limitations of riches, the limitations of material possessions. And lastly, we're going to see what being rich really, really looks like. We're going to do that. So the first thing, as we dive in, here's the first thing. I have three things. The first thing that I want you to know and write down, I've broken it down into these kind of sections. I want you to see the love of riches. I want you to see the love of riches. Verse 17, it says this, and as he was setting on his journey, talking about Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disenheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The love of riches. Now, who is this man? Well, in Mark, here in this passage, we know that this man is rich. He has a lot of possessions. He's wealthy. In the gospel of Matthew, in the same account, it says that he's young. So he's Wealthy, he's young, and in Luke, it says that he's a ruler, most likely of some kind of synagogue. So he's the rich, young ruler. Uh, I don't know about you, but the first thing that I thought was someone who's very you know, rich and, and wealthy and, uh, um, and, and who's young and who has a great career, I mean, this guy would make an amazing candidate for The Bachelor. I'm, I'm just saying. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, not not only that, not only that, but uh, he's respectful. He's respectful. Uh, he he calls Jesus good teacher. He's really respectful to Jesus, right? He's also a, mo- a good moral person. Uh, later on, he's going to say, "Hey Jesus, I've kept the." Actually, he said it right now. He said, "Hey Jesus, I've kept the whole law." Right? That's what he says. So he's a respectful person. He's a moral person. Uh, he, he's a good dude. As what we know so far, so he has it all. It appears this guy has it all, right? Age is on his side. Wealth is on his side. His career's going well. He's respected in the community. However, something is missing in his life. Like there's a big empty hole in his life. And how do we know this? Because of what Jesus, or he asked Jesus. We know this because of the question that he asked Jesus. What does he ask him? He says, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to go to heaven?" This young man is earthly rich heavenly broke. The young man is physically wealthy, but spiritually bankrupt. The young man possesses everything, but at the same time he possesses absolutely nothing. He desperately asks Jesus how he, he can enter the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that just before this, Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of God like a child. And now we see a grown man, adult, asking Jesus how he can enter the kingdom of God with all of these riches and possessions. We'll see how it goes for him. So he asks Jesus, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice what Jesus responds, which is very interesting. He doesn't answer his question right away. What does he say? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Like, that's just a weird way to respond to that question. Like, what is Jesus doing? Like, what's going on here in this passage? Well, why did Jesus do that? First, I just want to make sure that we understand a few things. I want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not claiming that he is not good, okay? Uh, so denying his sinlessness. He's not saying that. Number two, Jesus is not claiming that he is not God or denying his deity. He's he's not saying that. The reason why Jesus responds this way is because he's about to challenge the young man's definition of what good is. He's about to really challenge this young man about the definition of good and what good truly, truly means. He's also setting the stage for what is to come. He's kind of prepping him a little bit. You see, here's the thing. The young man is about to claim that he is good. He's about to claim that he is good. But before he even claims that he is good, Jesus just already stops him in his tracks. If you notice that? No one's good except God alone. So Jesus is setting him up. That only God is good. That God is the absolute standard of what is good, pure, holy, and blameless. In other words, what Jesus is doing is already saying, hey, You think you're good, and I know you're about to tell me that you're good and that you kept all of the commandments, but only God is holy. Only God is pure. And so he is confronting this guy with what? With the holiness of God. He's giving him the holiness of God as a mirror to compare his goodness, what he thinks is good, to God who is truly good. So he confronts him with the holiness of God, but not only that. He confronts him with his sinfulness. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man is being, this man is being confronted with those two things. Here's why. Because Jesus says, hey, "Hey, you know these commandments. Like, you know these commandments, Jesus tells him. In the Matthew account, he basically says, hey, go and keep these commandments then. And he rattles off all of these commandments. Jesus responds by citing the second table of the Ten Commandments those associated with a person's relationship to others the first four commandments are uh, really our relationship to god the last uh, six are uh, commandments that are horizontal our relationship with other people so jesus says hey go do these commandments go live them out and so again jesus confronts this this young man not only with god's holiness but with his own sinfulness. He confronts him with the law. He confronts him with the perfect and holy law. And what's the purpose of Jesus confronting this man, young man? What's the purpose of Jesus confronting this man with the law? I think Romans 3 tells us that. Romans three twenty: for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law reveals our sinfulness. That's the purpose of the law. To reveal our sinfulness that we could not keep the entire law. And so therefore it reveals that we're not good and that we are sinful. So Jesus says, hey, God is good and he is holy. And guess what? Go do these commandments, right? He's confronting him with the law to expose that he is not good to expose his sinfulness. And how does this young man respond? He says, teacher, all, all these things I kept from my youth. Essentially, he's saying, I've done all of this stuff. I've kept all these commandments. Notice real quick in your text. If you look at your scripture, he dropped the word good. He no longer calls him good teacher. I think someone's going to get getting a little triggered, right? Like He's no longer a good teacher. He's getting a little defensive. He's getting a little upset, And so the young man is essentially saying, Jesus, I kept the law. I'm a good person. He's in denial even after Jesus confronts him with the holiness of God and his sinfulness. Now, here's the thing. Here's the problem with this young man. He's just thinking about keeping the law in an outward sense, in a check the box type of sense. Yes, he's probably kept the law. He's probably never murdered someone. He's probably never done those external things of the law, of the Ten Commandments. But if you remember when Jesus comes in, it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot deeper than that. The law is a lot deeper. Let me give you some examples. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, what does Jesus say about murder? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So if you're angry at someone, it's like murder, right? Adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this young man is just thinking about the outward things of the law that he's kept, but not the inward things. And do you think he's ever been angry unrighteously with someone? Yes you think he's ever lusted after someone? Yes. He's broken the law. He just doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. He's sinful. He's a sinful person. What does Jesus respond? He says, okay. He says, you lack one thing. He says, go, sell, give all of your possessions to the poor, and then come follow me. He says, go sell, give your possessions to the, the poor and come follow me. Here's what Jesus is doing here in the life of this young man. First, he is calling this man to repentance. That's what Jesus is doing here. When he tells him to go and sell and give, he's calling this young man to repentance because Jesus knows what is number one in this young man's heart. He knows that Material possessions are number one in this young man's heart. Jesus knows what sits on the throne of this guy's heart, possessions, money. And so therefore Jesus is asking this young man to make room, to move over those things in his heart and to make room for him. He's calling this young man to repentance Again, the young man thought he had kept all the laws of God. That's what he thought, that he was good, that he's kept all the laws. But here's the thing. He wasn't even able to keep the first commandment. Because what's the first commandment? Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Money, possessions became an idol to this young man. So just think about that. He thought he's kept the whole law, but he's never even kept the first commandment because he has made those things an idol in his heart. He's worshipped those things in his heart. Money was his first love. Money was the thing that was keeping him from fulfilling the great commandment to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you need to repent. You need to repent. Go sell all your stuff, give to the poor, remove that from your heart, make space for me. The second thing Jesus is calling him here to is faith. After you repent, after you go sell all your stuff, what does he say? Come and follow me. Come and place your faith in me. Don't place your faith in money, don't place your faith in material possessions. Come and follow me. Place your faith in me. Place your faith in the creator of money. Place your faith in the the provider of money. Place your faith in me. And that's been Jesus' message all along, hasn't it, church? Ever since the beginning, that's been Jesus' message. The gospel of Mark starts with Jesus saying what? Mark chapter 1, 15, repent and believe in the gospel. That's been Jesus' message all along. And so he is calling this young man to repentance and faith. Why? Because he loves money and possessions more than he loves God. And so what happens to this young man? Does he enter the kingdom or not? Unfortunately, he doesn't. Mark tells us this. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The man came to the right person, asked the right questions came with the right attitude but left with the wrong response. He left with his savings but without salvation. He did not enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because his possessions possessed him. He did not possess his possessions. John Calvin says this about the human heart. He says, the human heart is an idol factory. That's what he says. John Calvin, the human heart produces idols. It's an idol factory. Church, this passage, this text is not just about money. It's not just about material possessions. The deep meaning of this passage is this. What sits on the throne of your heart that's what we're trying to get at what is at the center of your heart what possesses you that is what this passage is about what needs to be ripped away to make way for christ what do we love more than christ himself what do we what do you depend on more than christ That's what this passage is about. What is central to your life? What is central to your heart? Is it like this man? Can you relate to this man? Maybe for you it is money. You love money. You love money more than God. You love material possessions more than God. Maybe that's what's gripping your heart. Is it your career where you're putting that before God? And here's the thing, it, it's, it's not necessarily bad things that, that, that we put before God. It's the good things in life. We always think they have to be bad things. No, a lot of the times it's the good things that God blesses us with that we make the ultimate things that we put before God. The good things God gives us are to worship him and thank him and pursue him and honor him, not to put those things before him. So maybe for you, it's the same thing with this man. Money, possessions, career. It could be your husband, your wife that you put before God. Parents, it could be your kids that you put before God, that you worship before the Lord. It could be your siblings. It could be all of these things that we put before God. Good things replace the greater one. Good things become idols. And here's the thing. Jesus will not compete with other things in your heart. Jesus will not compete with other things. Jesus will not ride shotgun or Jesus will not ride in the back seat of your life. Jesus will not fight to make way in your heart so that he can sit on your throne. Christ will not be second on your priority list. Christ will not ride in the back seat. Christ will not share his position in your heart. Like I said, even the good things become idols in our life. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35 through 37. For many of us, it's our family, our friends, and our kids. But look what Jesus says. He says, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his household Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The love of anything else but Christ results in the loss of Christ. We can't love anything else more than Christ. Church, this this passage is more, more than just about money and riches. It's about here. It's not a wallet issue. It's a heart issue. Everything begins with your heart. It's a love of riches. Fortunately, this young man didn't make it in. Second, I want us to see the limitation of riches. The limitation of riches. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but, with, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So Jesus is now talking to his disciples And he says, man, it's going to be difficult for a person with money to enter the kingdom of God. And he says it twice. He says it two times so they get it. It's going to be extremely difficult for someone to enter the kingdom of God if they're wealthy. And here's the thing. It's not because they're wealthy. It's because of them trusting in their wealth over God. There's a distinction there. It's not because they're rich. It's because they trust in their riches And not on God, that they will, it's almost impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus gives an example. And it's kind of an exaggeration, but he's trying to prove a point. He says, it is so hard. Let me tell you how hard it is. It is so hard that it's going to be difficult, uh, for example, to try to get a a camel, the largest animal in that region, through the eye of a needle. It's impossible, right? He's obviously using an exaggeration. It's impossible to take this huge animal and put him through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. Therefore, it will be that impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so if you're a disciple, you're just like, what in the world? They tell Jesus, well, then who's gonna be saved? If it's that difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, well, then how can anyone be saved? Like, how can we enter the kingdom of God? Now, here's the thing. Here's why they, here's why they, they said that. They were astonished because... Um, it was common. It was a common Jewish perspective that riches and that wealth were a sign of God's divine blessing. So if you were rich, it's because he blessed you and he had divine blessing upon your life. If you were poor, it's because God cursed you. So people in that time believed because if you were rich and you started accumulating even more riches that, man, God must really love you. Now, here's the thing. In addition to that, uh, there's a couple of... Uh, some extra biblical resources that we have uh, rabbis were teaching and it was a common practice that people can give alms uh, giving money to the poor in exchange for salvation for sal- so you can buy your salvation if you if you had money you you can purchase your salvation let me just give you some examples of extra biblical writings that say this the book of Tobit it says this it is good to do alms rather. Than to treasure up gold for alms, to give money, deliver from death, and this will purge away every sin. Sirach, the book of Sirach, alms will atone for sin. Think about it. That's why the disciples said, then how can anyone be saved? If this young man who's rich and wealthy can't enter the kingdom of God, and, and, then who can be saved? If people are paying and these wealthy people are paying to to enter the kingdom of God and to atone for sin and find forgiveness with money, but now you're saying that it's impossible, then who's going to get in? I mean, is heaven going to be completely empty? Is the kingdom of God going to be completely empty? And so Jesus says this. He says, you know what? With man, it's impossible. With man-made methods, man-made thinking, It's it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. With man, it is not possible. Money can't save man. Man can't be saved through money. Only God can save. Only the blood of Christ can save. There are limitations to riches. There are no limitations with God. Man can't save himself any more than they can stuff a camel through the eye of a needle. Riches can buy you happiness, but not joy. Riches can buy you security, but not salvation. There is a limitation on riches. There's a limitation on money. And let me just make it clear, man can't purchase what Christ already paid for. Man can't purchase what Christ already paid for. It's already been paid. We can't purchase it. We can't earn it. We just can't. Now, many of you, I don't think, these days are trying to earn your salvation by giving money. Like kind of slipping Jesus a 20, right? Like, Jesus, come on, I'll give you a 20, let me in, come on. How about a George Washington, let's go. I don't think many of you are doing that, okay? But here's the thing, here's here's the thing. Limitations, not, again, it's deeper than riches, it's deeper than money. Limitations on man's power. Can't save ourselves, right? But here's the thing. I think a lot of believers, theologically, we grew up in church knowing that salvation was by faith alone in Christ alone. And it was through grace, by the grace of God. And we, we understand that with our heart and mind, theologically. But practically, when you really start digging in, many believers are still practically trying to earn God's favor if I'm just a good person, if I just do the good things, if, 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 I, if I could just repent and, 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 and serve and give and do all of these things and maybe I could find favor with God. Theologically, we understand it. Practically, we don't understand what grace is because if we knew what grace was, we wouldn't be trying to earn something that God already purchased. So believer. Understand what grace is. He saved you and I when we didn't even deserve to be saved. When you were dead in your sin, dead. I'm not talking about a coma. I'm not talking about walking dead. Dead, when you were dead, when you couldn't come to Christ. Christ went to you and saved you. And it is by grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but he gave it to you anyway. So stop trying to purchase something he already paid for. Rest in his grace. Lastly, the leaving of riches. So we saw the love of riches, the limitations of riches, and lastly, the leaving of riches. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, with persecutions, and in the age to come, what? Eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. (laughs) Peter's interesting, man. He tells Jesus, Jesus, see what we've done? Like, see everything we've given up for you? You, This this young, rich guy wasn't able to do it. He couldn't do it, but we did. We gave up everything. Essentially, what he's saying to Jesus is, Jesus, what's in it for us? Like, we've given up everything, Jesus. What's in it for us? Like, what are we going to get out of it? And here's the thing. Yes, Peter might be asking with a selfish motive. That's just Peter. But at the same time, they did leave everything. They did, right? If you remember, Matthew left his career as a tax collector. Matthew made good money, really good money. Matthew was rich, and he left it to follow Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John left their fishing business, their family, to follow after Jesus. And so, yes, in a way, by the way that Jesus responds to them, he says, yeah, you guys did leave everything. You left everything to follow me. And so Jesus says, you know what? Those who leave everything, essentially, will be blessed. They will be blessed. Jesus responds by saying that those who leave everything, house, brother, sister, mother, father, children, lands, essentially everything that's important to us for him and for the gospel will be be blessed a hundredfold. For every dollar you give, you get a hundred back. Man, that's a good return on investment, right? That's really good. For every dollar you give, that's a hundred back. You're gonna be blessed a hundredfold. In other words, whatever you sacrifice will be little compared to the abundant blessing that you will receive by God. One will receive much, much more than they have lost. Now, here's the thing: when will they receive this blessing? When will we we receive this blessing? If we've given up everything for God, everything that we have, everything that we are, if we leave everything for the sake of God and for the gospel, when will we be blessed? It tells us here, in this present life. In this present life, we will be blessed. And what will we be blessed with? Well, he tells us here today. He says, you'll be blessed with houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecution, so you're going to be blessed with persecution. Okay, it says in the text, some of you are like, man, I just want to get blessed today. I didn't want to talk about a battle. I want to be blessed. Here's the thing. Jesus always gives us the, the blessing and the battle together to keep us growing. He's going to bless us, but he's also going to give us some battles. He says with persecution. It's in the text. I'm not making it up. It's in here. You take it up with God. I'm just saying it. I'm just the messenger. But he says, you're going to be blessed with all of these things. Okay, but what does that really mean? That we're going to be blessed a hundredfold with houses, childrens, brothers, lands, you know, all that stuff. I think, it, I think what it means here is this, that believers stand together as one family in Christ. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, our, my possessions are your possessions. It reminds me of Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four when they shared everything together. So you are completely blessed and completely rich entering the kingdom of God, why? Because you have a family. Because you've entered into this family where we share possessions, where we provide for one another, where we're completely blessed with one another another. So I really want to take this passage literally, so what I'm going to do at the end of the service is collect all of your house keys, make copies, and distribute them throughout, throughout. I just want to make sure we, we're all just receiving in that blessing. So is that okay with you? Okay, great. I was talking to this uh, pastor two weeks ago. been doing ministry for years and years and years, and he said, you know, before I became a pastor, I owned this like really huge construction company. I had a lot of money. He's like, money wasn't an issue. I was rich. And then God called me to ministry and I left everything for ministry. I don't even make a fraction what I used to make. And so (laughs) my bank account, he said, doesn't look like it used to. My savings went down. I'm technically broke. But he goes, you know what? I'm rich. Because I have a church that I'm a part of. I'm a part of a body of believers. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich with friendships. I'm rich with love within the church that I serve and the church that I pastor. And honestly, I could truly say that. When Christina and I planted Restoration Church, we became financially poor. (laughs) It's just part of being a church planter, man. It just is. It's just in the description. But at the same time, We became family rich. And I can tell you that I'm rich. I'm kingdom rich because of you guys. Because I'm a part of a body of believers. That's what rich is in the kingdom of God. Jesus redefines rich. And he says, hey, you're going to be rich here in the kingdom of God in this present life. And you're also going to be rich, what does he say, in the life to come. You'll be blessed in this present life with spiritual blessings. And in the age to come, you'll be blessed with eternal life. How how much more rich do you want to be? Eternal life with God. Notice what Jesus says. He gives us the motive for my sake and the gospel. For my sake and the gospel. Church, may you, like the disciples, in this sense, may you give up everything for the sake of Christ and the gospel. May you give up everything for the sake of Christ and the gospel. May you be willing up to may you be willing to give. Your time, your talents, and your treasures for the sake of the gospel. May you be willing to give up everything in order to get everything. May you be willing to give up everything to reach people who are far from God. People who need eternal life. People who need forgiveness. May you be willing to give up Everything. What is something that you are unwilling to give up when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Christ? Is there something in your heart that you're not willing to give up? Whatever you're not willing to give up for Christ and for the gospel is an indicator that that thing possesses you and that you have placed that thing at the throne of your heart. What is it? I hope it's nothing. I hope you come to Christ saying, take it all. Use it for your glory. Use it for your purpose. Now let me go back to the beginning of the sermon. Why plants in Peoria? It's the suburbs, man. We don't need more churches there. Yeah, we do. Because there's people in our community that don't know Christ. And until everyone is saved, we need more churches in this community. Until there's no one here in our community that is lost, we need more churches here in Peoria Church. Let me remind you that the mission field is not out of the country somewhere. That the true mission field is not going to plant in Mexico or Dominican Republic or wherever it is. The mission field is here. Northwest Peoria is a mission field. May you use all of your resources that you have. May you give up everything to reach people. Why? Because at the end of the day, and I've said it before, the only thing that we can take to heaven is people. That's it. The only thing we can take to heaven is people. You can't take your savings account. You can't take your house, your car. You can't take all of those things. They're worthless. But you can't take people. When you approach the pearly gates, I hope that when you look back, you see all the people that you saved. All the people that you shared the gospel with. All the people that you gave up of your time, talents, treasures to reach. That Jesus will say, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.